Jesus conquered the Messiah, 
Okay, this morning we'll be finishing up in the book of 1 John, in the fifth chapter. As John writes in verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This verse introduces John's conclusion, but it also serves really as the overarching theme of the assurance that comes from knowing that we are saved and secure in Christ. That is, that assurance is the theme of these verses. As, he, as I read the remainder of the verses, just notice how many times he refers to just what we do know. For this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin and there is sin that does not lead to death. Now we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps them safe and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true and eternal God. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. After spending four and a half chapters on love and fellowship that binds us together as children of God, as being citizens of heaven, it really shouldn't surprise us that among his closing remarks, John brings up this whole issue of prayer. For prayer, being in communion with God, is vital both to a deepening of our love and the strengthening of our fellowship. No matter how many friends we have on Facebook, how much time we spend on online chat rooms, relationships need FaceTime. You simply cannot grow in love or fellowship without spending the time with each other. Unfortunately, though, prayer is often presented and practiced as little more than a ritual to perform. It's something we do before we eat or something we do to open a meeting, or something we teach our children to do before they climb into bed for the night. It's something you do because it's expected, not because you expect God to actually show up. And if he does, we're as surprised as anyone, aren't we? Yet verse 14 says, because we are saved and we know it, we can have a confidence not just to pray, but a confidence to know that God is listening. We're so used to talking, we can fail to realize how significant and how great a gift listening is. refers not just to God listening to us, but us listening to one another as well. That's why Bonhoeffer said, the greatest gift you can ever give to anyone is to listen to them. And as John says, God listens to us. Others seem to think of prayer as just another form of therapy. 
These talk of the many benefits of prayer, how good it is for you physically and emotionally and mentally. They may cite studies showing how many benefits there are to prayer, such as overcoming unwanted thoughts and distractions, lowering your blood pressure, faster recovery from illness and operations, a greater sense of peace and contentment in life. Prayer as therapy has as its goal peace of mind, not encountering the living God. However, the benefits these studies cite are all byproduct of the confidence that comes from knowing God. As he says in verse 15, not only does he hear us, but he answers us. But this, however, has led others to view prayer as being all about the results. A way of getting things from God. A way of having our needs and desires met. I pray when I want something. When I'm facing some crisis or problem in my life. It's very me-centric. If I have faith, or if I am good enough, then God will answer me. For these, prayer has little, is little more than presumption, trying to use God for our own ends. Popular writer and speaker on prayer, Dick Eastman, said he even saw a book on prayer whose title was, How to Use God. F.J. Hugel said, prayer is not the cunning art of using God, subjecting him to one's selfish ends in an effort to get, him, get out of him what you want. And it's very telling here that as John writes about prayer, the one example he gives in verses 16 and 17 is praying not for ourselves and what we can get, but praying for others to be restored to fellowship with God. For Jesus, prayer was none of these things. It was not just another ritual, merely going through the motions without any true bearing on his life. He showed repeatedly his time with the Lord provided the strength and confidence he needed to face what was coming. Nor was it merely a therapeutic way to face his trials and feel better about himself. The peace and confidence he experienced came as a result of knowing he was right where he needed to be. Nor did he dare to presume upon God or try to manipulate him to get what he wanted. The power of his life and ministry came from the confidence in knowing that God was uh, what God was up to and then aligning his life accordingly. His prayers were not some nebulous uncertainties like ours often are, left open-ended so we won't be disappointed if we don't get what we ask for. When he prayed, he knew God was listening He expected God to answer, not because God owed him, but because he was God's son. And his life, his heart, his prayers were aligned with God's own desires. For us, prayer can seem like a chore, but for Jesus, it was all about the relationship. Henry Nouwen, who wrote much on prayer in the spiritual life, said, Much of our praying is asking because there's so much that we think we need. Some of our praying is frantic because we are in difficult circumstances. Sometimes our prayer is manipulated, manipulative because we assume that we know better than God what we need and what must take place. But prayer is meant to be something quite different. It's an invitation to come home. We're his children, after all. It's an invitation to be loved and nurtured and refreshed. Prayer is thus a call to intimacy with the God of the universe, who is our Father in Jesus Christ. Prayer is listening to what he would whisper 
to us. Prayer is being renewed by His loving presence. Prayer is being exposed, embraced, and healed by Him who alone knows what is best for us. And we always need to keep before us the true nature of prayer because it's that upon which our confidence is to be based. We pray not so much because we want something, but because we want time with our Father. Prayer is communication, yet it's so much more than that. The word to communicate itself comes from the Middle English word to commune, which didn't mean merely to share information so much as it meant to share your thoughts and your feelings and your ideas, what's inside of you, to experience emotion. It carried with it a strong relational element, in other words. The English, though, came from the French word, which meant to share something in common. It implied a sharing not so much just of words and ideas. It referred to an intimacy and closeness with the person you're with. That, in turn, came from the Latin word, which became the basis for the word community, life shared with others, which, in turn, came from the Latin, or came from the Greek word koine, from which we get fellowship, communion. In each case, it's about love and fellowship, the very things John has been writing about since chapter 1. Prayer is essentially about relationship. As verses 13 through 16 state, it's through our faith in Christ, we have the assurance that comes from knowing we are saved, we are God's children, and now knowing that because we are God's children, we can approach Him with confidence in our prayers, just as a child. As the writer of Hebrews 10.22 put it, Therefore, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that our faith brings. It's an amazing thought. God wants to spend time with you. God wants to hear from you. God cares about what's on your mind. He wants to spend time. A great man once said that of all the experiences of his life that he could remember, there was nothing which gave him such unmixed joy as when one day he was standing on a crowded street corner in a large city waiting for the light to change, and then quite unexpectedly, a child he had never seen before looked at him, up at him, slid her hand into his and said, Please, sir, take me across the street. This, he said, became the greatest honor of his life, simply being able to take that small, trusting child across the street. Prayer is like that child putting our hands into God's and asking him to help us across the street. How many of us, though, spend all our time dodging cars, trying to get across on our own, take care of our own problems, deal with our own life, with our own strength, and prayer is something we do as an afterthought when everything else fails? Yet John says, we have confidence to approach God. The word confidence comes from the root word which meant freedom of speech, to be outspoken, to be bold or frank, being able to share what's on your mind without fear of disapproval. Don't we sometimes think that's not appropriate to pray about? to share what we're feeling with God. He already knows. We just feel like it's somehow wrong. Yet John says we can go to him with a complete openness of sharing 
our deepest fears and doubts, our struggles, our temptations, our failures, our victories, our questions, because we have confidence. We have the freedom, the boldness to come before Him. Confidence refers to a child who fully expects and doesn't even stop to think twice about whether they can go to their mother or father to tell them what's on their mind. Paul said in Ephesians much the same thing when he said, In him... And through faith in Him, now we can approach God with freedom and confidence. Hebrews 4.16 tells us, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The confidence John is talking about is Carol Ann Miller, who was born with a serious birth defect in her heart. By the time she was 12, doctors were saying she had little chance of making it to her 13th birthday without major surgery. The problem was she had a rare blood type, B negative, and needed a transfusion before the operation could be conducted. 12-year-old, she didn't know any better. And with the trust only a child could have, she decided to take matters into her own hands. She sat down and wrote a letter, Dear Mr. President, who was Dwight D. Eisenhower at the time, the surgeons want to close up a hole in my heart. If you know anyone who has B-negative blood, please call my mom. It's very important. Within hours, the Walter Reed Hospital had received 20 pints of blood with instructions from the President of the United States that it was to be made available for use to one Carol Ann Miller and her surgeons. If anyone had known what this child was going to do, they would have stopped her and said, the president's out of your league. He's inaccessible, too important, too busy. She didn't know any better. She approached it with confidence like she would have in approaching her mother or father. What confidence do you have to go before God this morning and tell him what's on your mind, what's on your heart when you pray? If you have Christ in your life, You can know that you're his child, John has said. And as his child, he's waiting to hear from you. This is the confidence, he said, that we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what what he asks of him. Of course, this isn't a blank check promising to give you everything you want, when you want it, if you have the faith to claim it. It's a conditional statement. The answer is dependent on being attuned and aligned with God, asking according to his will, John says. In other words, if your relationship is right with him, you're going to want the things that God wants. Contrary to what many faith teachers claim, all the passages where promises that God will answer our prayers are not dependent on us and our faith so much as being right in relationship with God. So earlier in John, in chapter 3, he said, Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from Him anything we ask because we keep His commands and do what pleases Him. The condition in that is to keep His command and do what pleases Him. Yet he had already pointed out that obedience is a sign of our love relationship with Him. It's no different than Jesus in Matthew 21 when he said, Truly, I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but 
Also, you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. The condition is faith. But faith isn't merely believing hard enough for something. It's based on a relationship. In Ephesians, Paul said, faith is a gift from God. In Romans, he says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith originates with God. It means our prayers are to originate with God as well, according to his will. It's relational. A perfect example of this comes from Jesus himself, who, when he's praying in the garden, asked, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He subordinated his own physical desires to align himself with the Father because he was right with the Father. And when he said, ask anything in his name, you can expect to receive this. The condition is asking in his name. To ask in someone's name means what you're asking fully aligns with their desires and their character. It's as if they are asking through us. Consider what some have said who are known for writing on prayer. Samuel Chadwick said, To pray in the name of Jesus is not simply providing a period at the end of our prayers. It's to pray as one who is at one with Christ, whose mind is the mind of Christ, whose desires are the desires of Christ, whose purpose is one with that of Christ. Prayers offered in the name of Christ are scrutinized and sanctioned by his nature, his purpose, and his will. Prayer is endorsed by the name when it is in harmony with the character, the mind, the desire, and the purpose of that name. Robert Law wrote, Prayer is a mighty instrument, not for getting man's will done in heaven, but getting God's will done on earth. John Stott said, prayer is not a convenient device for imposing our will upon God it's for, or bending his will to ours, but the prescribed way of subordinating our will to his. It is by prayer that we seek God's will, embrace it, and align ourselves with it. Every true prayer is a variation of the theme, your will be done. And Ian Bounds said, if the will of God does not master the life, the praying will be nothing but sickly sentiment. Then one last one from Andrew Murray. God answers our prayers not because of what we try to be while we're praying, but rather because of what we are when we're not praying. We don't demand things from God like some spoiled child, but we go to him as a child, confident that we are his child, and he'll respond in a way that's best for us. John closes his letter with the assurance that we have in Christ, the assurance of our salvation as his children. It plays out in full confidence in our prayer life that as we line our lives with his, he's going to hear, he's going to answer. And it's that kind of prayer that James says becomes powerful and effective. In his book, Your God is Too Safe, and I'll close with this, Mark Buchanan wrote, Christian writer and speaker William Williman tells the story of a man he knew that went to Russia in the late 70s at the height of the Cold War. He was sent as part of a delegation from the World Council of Churches to investigate and report on the state of the Christian church under the atheist regime. The man was not impressed. The church, he told Williman dismissively, even contemptuously, is just a bunch of little old ladies sitting around praying. 
just a bunch of perfume makers. While few would say it, perhaps, how many people actually feel that way about prayer? It's just a nice, harmless way to spend some time. Fifteen years later, in the early 90s, William Williman told that story. While the churches were filled and overflowing in Russia, the statues of Stalin and Lenin, the patron saints of atheistic Russia, lay toppled, ready to be created for storage or quarried for stone. And he said, beware, little old ladies praying. Secretly, they're revolutionaries who make the Bolsheviks look like kindergartners. We can be confident in prayer because of who we are in Christ and what he's done for us. Worship team, if you would come. And as they come, will you join me in prayer? Our Father, we thank you that we can come before you with an openness and an honesty because of your Son, Jesus Christ, who through his death and resurrection makes us your children. And as your children, we can come to you with full confidence that you hear and that you respond. Lord, make us a people who expect you to show up as we pray, who expect you to answer, who have that confident assurance because of who we are in you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All to Jesus I surrender surrender all and trusting it to your hands, knowing that you give back so much more in the life you live through us. We thank you, Father, for the gift of that life, the preciousness of your Son, and the fellowship we share through that common faith. We praise you now as we leave this place in Jesus' name. Amen.
in that mind. 